You know, what's more inspiring than stories of people like us overcoming incredible odds? I can't think of anything more inspiring than hear of a story of someone coming back from odds that were stacked up against them. You know, each of these people have experienced the power of God in their own lives. And I'm pretty sure if we had time, we would give every ch- everyone here a moment to share what they've come back from. And we'd be just as in awe of what God has done in each of our lives. You know, there have been many times in my own life when I can remember and I've been reminded of my own failures. And it's in those moments I have to cling to the scriptures and remember that Jesus brought me back from all those failures. Jesus made a comeback so that I could make a comeback. And every time I entertain those thoughts, I have to draw strength from God's word and the truth in Jesus' resurrection. You know, Jesus did come back from the grave, believe it or not. You and I would not be here today if that were not true. If Jesus had not come back, we would just be a bunch of people wasting time listening to a bunch of gospel music on Sunday morning dressed up in our Sunday best. But in fact, the scriptures tell us that Jesus did die. Historical facts prove that there is an empty tomb and that Jesus did live, did walk this earth, and he, in fact, did die. So if Jesus died, if Jesus came back, What does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for us? We know that the scriptures show that Jesus, in fact, rose from the grave. We also know that there are accounts of over 500 witnesses who saw Jesus come back, walk the streets. 500 people, different times. No one really connected to each other, given the same testimony that Jesus, in fact, came back. You know, I believe that God is a God of second chances. And I believe that one of the hardest things to come back from is death. I mean, it's impossible for us, but nothing's impossible for Jesus. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. Jesus came back from the grave. He came back from the dead through the power of God. And God says that I have that same power. I'm making it available to you to resurrect what's dead in your life. I want you to take a a, a moment to just think about a time in your life where you were more alive. Where you felt more faithful. You felt happy. What is that? What was that to you? Is that still alive in your life? Are you still excited about God? Are you still excited about the Bible? Are you still excited about spiritual things? You know, I remember there was a time in my young life where I would go to movies and I would pull spiritual uh, themes and, 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 and context from a movie, from any kind of movie. Because that was the frame of mind I was always in. Everything was a spiritual illustration. You couldn't help going to a movie and and thinking, wow, that's deep. That reminds me of Jesus or that reminds me of this. And now our minds get so flooded and cluttered with nonsense that it's hard for us to cling to spiritual things. But Jesus can resurrect that in your life. You know, the resurrection is what the Christian faith is built on. Without 
the resurrection of Christ, we would be no, there would be no Christianity. But the world does not believe in the resurrection. The world does not believe that we'll come back, with one exception, of course, the Department of Social Services in Greenville, South Carolina. They wrote to one welfare recipient, your food stamps will be stopped effective immediately because we have received notice that you passed away. You may reapply if there is a change in your circumstances. I know of only one person who ever experienced that kind of change in their circumstance, and he doesn't live in Greenville, South Carolina. Jesus made a comeback, and now it's our turn to make a comeback. Jesus has come back sends two clear messages to us. The first is that failure is not fatal. Failure is not fatal. You know, I believe that failure does not have to be fatal in our lives. How many of us have failed at something at one point in our life? We're all in the same boat, so I'm not just preaching to myself there. That's great. This is something you and I can both relate to. Sometimes failure can be hard to come back from. So it's natural to assume that we may not bounce back from a failure. But God is a God of second chances. God loves comeback stories. God was applauding that video because he remembers every single deed, every single act, every single word that these couples, that these individuals have said and done that were sinful against him. And he applauded every comeback that they've made, just like he applauds us when we come back. You know, failure is not fatal. I think of two examples in the Bible that proves this fact the first is King David. You know, King David is known as a man at the God's own heart. He was a humble man. He was a, a great man. He was the one, the giant, he was the giant killer. He, he killed Goliath. He stepped up when everyone else cowered in fear. And David stepped up to the plate. But great as David was, David had, David had some indiscretions. David had some indiscretions. It's hard to imagine that someone who is mentioned in half the books of the Bible could also be guilty of breaking half of God's commandments. It says that David coveted Uriah the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba. It says that David committed adultery with her. David stole her from Uriah. David lied to Uriah. And eventually, David murdered Uriah. Half of the Ten Commandments David committed in one day. Now, I know some of us will think, oh, I got that beat. But here's a man that was known as a man of the God's own heart when he was confronted by God's prophet Nathan. David does something that God expects us all to do. He repents immediately. He repents immediately. David did not delay. David did not make excuses. David did not blame shit. Well, she was, no one told her to shower in front of me naked, in front of my palace. Don't she know I go for my walks in the morning? He didn't blame shift. He took credit and he dealt with the consequences. That's what men and women of God do. 
You deal with the consequences. You don't blame other people for your indiscretions. You deal with it because when you deal with it, then you can grow from it and come back from it. When you blame shift, when you blame everybody else, when you make excuses, you don't make comebacks from that. Because it's hard to make, it's harder to make a comeback from an excuse than it is to make a comeback from an indiscretion. Excuses keep us from making comebacks. And David did not. I think of another individual, John Mark. John Mark went with Barnabas and Paul on their missionary trip to Antioch from Jerusalem. Somewhere between that trip, that, that missionary journey, between Cyrus and Perga, Mark decided that he had enough. And I don't know what it is. The Bible's not really clear on what it was. Maybe he could have been homesick. Maybe he saw all the, the, the aggressive uh, confrontation that Paul and Barnabas was up against. He thought, hey, I didn't sign up for this. Maybe he was just afraid that he had gotten himself involved in, in way over his head. We don't really know what it was. But we do know that it did affect Paul greatly. It affected Paul's trust in Mark. And we've seen this scenario played out all too often. Sometimes people start following Jesus, and as soon as the challenges get, uh, as soon as the challenges come and the going gets tough, they get going. And Mark's desertion, it was so painful that it caused the two friends, Paul and Barnabas, to disagree. And, they, and the Bible doesn't record them ever working together. Now, we even know that they've been brothers because Paul preaches about being unified. But for some reason, this, this individual drove a wedge between these two friends. And in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 34, it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted ways and Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyrus. Cyprus. But Paul said, chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Paul felt that John Mark was unreliable and he didn't trust him. Have you ever blown a responsibility that left others afraid to trust you? Have you ever committed to something and then halfway through realized that you really didn't have the capacity or the faith to see it through? Maybe you were like John Mark. Maybe disappointing others is your comeback. Maybe you need to come back because you started your walk with God and halfway through you realize that I don't have the faith to change these sins or to see these sins changed in my life. I don't have the faith or the courage to say no to my friends when they ask me to do things that I know is wrong. And instead of coming back we keep away because our fear of rejection, our fear of being exposed keep us, keeps us away. 
And let me tell you, if that's you and you're here today, you've already started on your road to coming back. You know, sometimes our character flaws can be hard to come back from. Problems have a way of revealing what's in our character. And I'm so glad that John Mark's story did not stop in Acts 15. In fact, many years later, it's clear that Paul actually grew to respect John Mark. In Colossians 4, verse 10, Mark actually became instrumental in Paul's ministry. Paul started to rely on him. So somewhere between Acts 15 and when Paul wrote to the church at Colossus, they, they, they redeemed their relationship, but also Mark bounced back. He made himself a reliable person, and so much so that he became one of the honored guests, one of the honored writers of the Gospel of Mark. He gave his account. You can't tell me that's not a comeback. That's a huge comeback. And you and I can both come back from our character flaws. We can come back. If you started halfway and you realize, I don't know if I can still do this, and you turn around and say, you know what, I'm going to try, I'm going to fight, I'm going to do it. I don't understand everything in the Bible. I can barely read halfway through the Bible, especially Leviticus, but I'm still going to try. And I'm going to keep coming back. No matter how many times I fall, no matter how many times I slip, I'm going to come back because Jesus came back for me. Imagine if Mark had ended his story at that trip, we would not have one of my favorite gospels of all four written so we could glean faith from and inspiration from. He became one of the four honored writers of the New Testament. You never know what God has in store for your life. You never know what's right around the corner from your comeback. I don't think Mark knew he was going to be chosen as one of the writers of the gospel. He just wanted to, be, he just wanted to come back for the sake of Jesus Christ. So there's no telling what God can do in your life. We too can come back if we don't give up. But unfortunately... We have an enemy that doesn't like comeback stories. We have an enemy that doesn't care if you come back or not. In fact, he and his friends want to make sure you don't come back. And we all know who that is, right? We all have enemies that don't want to see us come back. And they will do anything in their power. To see that we don't. Jesus had enemies in his day that didn't want to see him come back from the dead. In Matthew 27, verses 62 to 66, it says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the thir th third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people, that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate says, take a guard. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. You know, Jesus' enemies did whatever they could. They made extreme preparations to see that Jesus didn't make a comeback. 
And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is saying, don't let the stone stop you. Don't let the stone stop you. A lot of precautions went into place to keep Jesus from making his comeback. And Pilate ordered that a Roman guard, an army of soldiers, be put in front of this rock to make sure that no one goes in. But I believe that they were more concerned about who would come out. So they made sure that, look, if this guy, if this tomb is empty after the third day, we're in trouble. And they took precaution. And let me tell you something. Satan is the same way. Satan is like, look, if they realize that they can come back, then we're in trouble. The Bible says that Satan runs away from fear. He runs away from faith. And so he's drawn to fear, but he runs away from faith. And if we make a comeback, what does that do to our faith? That makes our faith strong. That makes our faith viral. That makes our faith contagious. And that is not what Satan wants. Although they were more concerned about not allowing anyone in, they were more concerned about Jesus coming out. When Mary, Mary Magdalene, and Mary's, uh, Jesus' mother, and Salome went to pay their final respects, they remembered that there was a stone in front of the tomb. And they said, who will remove the stone for us? Who will roll away the stone at the entrance of the tomb? And you know, I believe that we all have stones that need to be rolled away in order for us to make our comeback. Jesus taught as he walked the earth that there were some stones of the heart that we had to have rolled away from our hearts if we were to walk with him closely. And in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, it says, Then he added, It is... What comes from inside that defiles you, for from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defiles you. You know, Jesus, at the time, his audience... Pharisees were more focused on how people looked on the outside. They made sure that they were clean on the outside. But Jesus says, yeah, that's not the stones I want you to worry about. You got some stones on the inside that you need to deal with. There's some spiritual stones in your heart. And we know what happens with a stony heart, right? It gets harder and harder and harder. But God can break any hard stone. And make it a heart of flesh. You know, Jesus gives a list of stones that can keep our hearts hard. Evil thoughts. These are the thoughts that precede those actions. Sexual immorality, sexual actions that violate God's standard. God gave us a standard of sexuality. He created us. God knows how we work. And he gave us a standard on how we're to use our bodies. Theft. Taking something that does not belong to you, including creative works. Can I get an amen for bootleg? (laughs) Murder. We're like, well, James, that's a a no-brainer. Taking the life of another. You know, people justify murder in their hearts because that's where it starts. And they'll justify taking another person's life. Adultery. 
engaging in sex with a married person or outside of your own marriage. Jesus goes as far as saying, if you are married and you lust after someone else, you're, creating, you're committing lust, adultery in your heart. Jesus says it all starts inside of you. Greed, a relentless desire for more than what you have, being malcontent, malice, doing something wrong to someone just out of spite, deceit, misleading people, lying, telling half-truths, giving people the false impression, then lewdness, coarse joking, getting caught up in profanity, especially at the workplace, envy, desire for someone else's possessions, slander, destroying someone else's reputation, arrogance, pride, being egotistical, conceited. Oh, no, no, I don't associate with people in your class. I don't get down with people like that. You broke? Yeah, call me when you got some money. I mean, just not willing to associate with people that's not like you and like us. And I think sometimes Christians can be the most conceited people in the planet. Just because we walk with God doesn't mean that we're better than people. Doesn't mean that we're above people. We are just like people. We're just saved sinners. And we can't forget that. Arrogance. Prideful. Egotistical. Conceited. And then folly. You know, I often wonder, why is folly a sin? I mean, sometimes... Folly's a little attractive, isn't it? When you see someone playing around, acting silly, you know, it's like, oh, isn't that cute? But it's not cute when it's in an adult. When they're making dumb decisions because they did not do the due diligence to get the knowledge they need to know the right from wrong. Folly basically comes down to not knowing the difference between what's moral and immoral. What's right What's wrong? Jesus says that starts in your heart. Some people think ignorance is bliss. They really believe that as long as I don't know the truth, I'm safe. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That is not what the Bible teaches. We will be held accountable even for what we don't want to know. Because I think we know we need to know, but we really don't want to know. And I think that keeps a lot of people from making Jesus Lord of their lives. Because they know once I get into that Bible, I know it's going to be a reflection of my life, and I'm not going to like what it says, and so I'm going to claim ignorance. Jesus says that's a stone that needs to be rolled away. And this one is not on the list, but I thought I would add it anyway since the Lord talks about it. How about fear? Afraid to admit that you even have a stone in your life. Sometimes we like to walk around and think that, hey, I'm a good person. I didn't do any of those things on James's list. I, I, I don't murder. I never murdered anyone. I'm not lewd. I keep to myself. I don't bother anybody. I don't talk to anybody. I don't, I don't call anybody. I don't want anybody to call me. And even as you're giving your description, you don't even realize that you're in sin. You're selfish. Selfish is a sin. I mean, but the fear of just getting open and honest. Getting open and honest, man, you know what? I blew it. I was prideful. I gave into my anger. I was selfish. I was lustful. Just say it. Because if it doesn't leave your mouth, it'll never leave your heart. Don't be so afraid of looking bad in front of other people. Be afraid of what God sees. 
And God is saying, I need to roll that stone away from your heart, but you got to let me do it. I think sometimes it's like this. We got God pushing the stone away, and then we're like this with our back up against it because we're like, I don't know, I'm not ready for this yet. There's a little security in the tomb because we don't have to deal with reality as long as we're in there. But God is like, no, I'm calling you out because it's time for you to make a comeback. Amen? In Mark chapter 16, so don't let these stones stop you. In Mark chapter 16, verse 3, it says, As they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? In Matthew 28, verse 2, it says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and get this, he sat on it. You know, I read that, and I thought, why did, why did they put that in there? Why did they... Why did Matthew decide, hey, I'm going to put that he sat on a the, on the stone? I, mean, I believe Matthew was just as shocked as we are. Like, the angel rolled it away. He could have just stood there, and, but he sat on the stone. And I think that says a lot about how God sees our problems. I think that says a lot about how God sees the stones and all. We look at these stones, and we're like, just like the women here, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of our tombs? Who's going to move this large stone out of my life? Who's going to move this stone of pride out of my heart? Who's going to move these lusts? Who's going to move this sexual immorality? Who's going to move this selfishness? And the angel is like, it's already done. And he's up there swinging his, his angelic feet from this stone because our sin is a small problem to God. Because Jesus had already died. And came back from that. So you and I don't have to keep these stones in our hearts. Amen? Who's going to roll away the stone? God can and God will. In Mark 16, as we bring this to a close. In Mark 16, verses 4 through 7. It says, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they, they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where he lay. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he said. Church, let me tell you something. If God can bring Jesus back from the grave after being there for three days, God can absolutely 100% raise anything that is dead in our lives. He can raise whatever has died in your faith. He can raise whatever has died in your love for others. He can raise whatever has died in your character. He can raise whatever has died in your marriage. He can raise whatever has died in your parenting. He can raise whatever has died in your career. He can raise whatever has died in your family and among your friends. Why? Because of God because of the power of God, and because Jesus made the greatest comeback the world has ever known. Death could not keep its grip on Jesus. It couldn't keep a handle on him. And I'm telling you right now, we're looking at a sea of witnesses here today. And today, after church, we're going to add another witness to the audience. Amaya Collins-Jones will make her comeback and be baptized into Jesus Christ. 
Amaya is just like many of us here today. She's able to make her comeback because of what Jesus did for her already. Jesus already made the comeback. And he's waiting for us to make a comeback of our own. Why can we do this? It's because of who Jesus is. He's God's son. He's the sinner savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine in true theology. He's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and saves. He guards and he guides. He's the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of leaders. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens of heavens can't contain him, yet alone a man explain him. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they couldn't stop him. Herod tried to kill him, but death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Jesus made the comeback. It's time for you to make yours. And to God be the glory.